starting our summer series today, and for the next nine weeks, we're going to be uh, talking about a series we've entitled The Grace Impact. And you see that on the front of your bulletin there. Summer of 2019, I'd like to dig down in God's Word and look at the subject of grace. And I recognize you know some things about grace, but I'm discovering there's a whole lot more there than I knew that was actually there regarding God's grace. The uh, main book that we're going to use, and I would highly recommend, is the book entitled Grace, More Than We Deserve, uh, Better Than We Could Imagine, and uh, that would be a great thing for you to get a hold of to help as you study along uh, during these next 10 weeks. By the way, it was $9.80 last night. If you have Prime, it's free shipping. So there you go, $9.80. Could go up, could go down, you don't know. But uh, 10 bucks, and I think it would be very helpful. Much of the roots of this series will have its roots here in the book. And uh, I, I read lots of books now. I've looked over probably a dozen books on the subject. This is, this is head and shoulders, my opinion, the best. And no, Max didn't pay me for that endorsement. He doesn't need any help. <laughs> uh, the trouble with grace is this. Let's start this way. We know it's amazing, and we know preachers talk about it occasionally, and uh, Pastor Andy and Ken and the band, they sing about songs that include the word grace. Uh, but most of us really don't understand how it affects our daily lives. So uh, I, I'd like this summer for us to go beyond, oh, that's, that's a nice doctrine. That's a nice biblical truth. I want to go beyond just uh, Christian doctrine and actually tie grace to our everyday lives. Because some of us are thinking, I don't know, this isn't really an essential idea for my family or my job or my friends or my hobbies. You know, grace is a little bit like some of those words, you know, hypostatic union and providence and propitiation. Yeah, and this is kind of in that category. Um, I just want you to know, those are important, but grace is huge. Grace is God's best idea. That's how Max says it. I agree. Grace is God's magnus opus. It's his very best idea. And if I and Pastor Jason from East Jordan and Pastor Joe from Northridge and Pastor Brandt, he's actually going to close out our series. If we do our job for the next nine weeks, that's including today, you're going to realize, wow, I didn't know grace was so huge and so impactful to my life. I begin with this quote from uh, Max's book, page 10. Grace is God as heart surgeon, cracking open your chest, removing your heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain and replacing it with his own. Let that soak in. Rather than to tell you to change, Jesus creates the change. Do you clean up so he can accept you? Nope. Christ accepts you 
and then begins clean healing. And that's the essence of grace. And we're so prone, well, i got to get clean, and then maybe Jesus will accept. No, no, that's just exactly how you accept Christ, invite Him to take charge of your life, and then He begins the work of cleaning us up from the inside out. Today, I want you to know that grace has a name. Grace is not just some generic doctrine, idea, truth. Grace is intimate and it's immense at the same time. It's all powerful, grace is, and yet it's personal and knowable. Grace is about Jesus Christ. That's what you need to know. Uh, Grace is Jesus Christ, and Christ is grace. So you, you need to understand grace has a name, and the name of grace is Jesus Christ. Uh, locate with me on your phone or in your Bible the T section of the New Testament. Okay, here's what I mean by that. You've got First and Second Thessalonians, T H, alphabetical order. Wasn't that nice of the Lord to do that? Next, you got I, First and Second Timothy, and the last T is our destination today. We're going to be in the book of Titus, Titus chapter two. Slide down to verse 11. We're going to read out loud verses 11 through 14, if you're able. Would you stand with me, please? Let's read about the name of grace. Verse 11, Titus chapter 2. Here we go. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you for the Bible. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. Truth is, Lord, uh, most of us, most days, we're uh, prone to stumble and fall if we don't have a light. If we don't have your word to light the way we are walking, it's pretty dark and wild and crazy world we live in, Lord. So thanks for your book. It enables us to navigate life successfully. Lord, now we're going to talk today and uh, for several weeks now about the whole idea of grace. And I'm asking that as we dig in and dig down deep, Lord, you'll help us to understand how grace makes a difference in our everyday life. Would you show us clearly why grace matters? We need it. We need to get that connection. And I'm praying, Lord, that you'll speak clearly and loudly through these weak lips of mine. Lord, I want to pause right now because it's been a long week and it's been a painful week for some folks here in the Walloon family. I want to pray for those in the Walloon family 
And for those at the Genesis family who lost Justin this past week, Lord, would you rain down lots of grace and strength and peace? I pray as well for Kay and the Scott family as they navigate life without John. Uh, give them all the good stuff only you have. Uh, your joy despite circumstances that are hard and painful. Uh, I pray for Gladys Thomason as she's in the hospital and facing surgery this afternoon. Lord, might you, uh, may she understand that you're right there with her. Might she sense your presence. Might that procedure go well. That's what we're asking. Lord, I know others here today, they've got situations that are uh, uh, really causing lots of trouble. And uh, I pray for those who are facing distress in their marriages. Some are in the middle of trouble with children. Others today are in pain physically. Others financially, things aren't going well. Some here are facing a stubborn addiction and it just won't die. No matter where my friends are at here today, Lord, would you, uh, would you meet us today as we worship today by studying your book? Help us to hear clearly from you. We invite you, Jesus, to come take charge today in your church. And say it again. This is your church. So would you rule and reign? You're the one who died for this church. You're the one who sustains it. Lord, you're the king, the brains, the master, the Lord. We invite you to come. Be welcome today amongst your children. Speak, Lord. We're, we're listening. We're ready to hear from you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice. See. The question that I hope is answered or begins to be answered today and then weeks ahead. What practical difference does grace make for our everyday lives? What 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 pract I know grace is amazing and I know it's great. But how does it impact my life tomorrow on the job? How should grace affect our marriages? How, how should grace affect how we parent our children? How should grace make a difference in our lives uh, on, on an everyday basis? What difference does grace make? Go back to verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's huge. <laughs> Titus was appointed by the Apostle Paul to go to the island of Crete. You can look it up on your map, still there. And he said, Titus, I want you to go. We've established churches. Now they need leaders. Titus, I want you to go and uh, appoint leaders in all the different churches that have been established. And he gives them qualifications for leadership, for elders, beginning in verse 5. Then he moves on and he says, you need to instruct the older men. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I want you to instruct the older women. Verses 3 through 5. Titus chapter 2, and younger men are going to need instruction, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. 
And then he says something that's kind of interesting, I think. He says, here's the instructions for slaves. Titus 2, verses 6 to 8. I need to pause here for a moment. Titus, God's word is not endorsing, is not promoting slavery. Rather, it's recognizing two-thirds of the Roman world at this time were slaves. So he's giving practical instructions for the reality that was slavery. And slavery is and always has been sin. But again, that's what life is like in this fallen world. Verses 9 and 10, teaching instructions for people who are slaves. Now, Paul interrupts his teaching. He's teaching Titus and sharing, this is how you teach. This is what they need to know. This is for you, how you uh, choose leadership. And now he gives instructions kind of out of the blue on grace. It's interesting because it's like he pauses and now he's kind of go off in this tangent, if you will. But I don't think it was a tangent. I think it was intentional. He challenges us about the grace of God. Go back. Verse 11. Historical fact. That's what he says. Past tense. For the grace of God has appeared. What does that mean? How, how has the grace of God appeared? The grace of God has appeared in the life, the death, the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. That's how it has appeared. Grace has arrived. Grace begins. Grace ends with Jesus. Uh, grace is a biblical doctrine, yes. But please understand, grace is rooted and wrapped in a person. Jesus Christ. When Jesus took on human flesh, the grace of God was made visible. Track with me. When the second person of the Trinity willingly left the glory, the splendor of heaven, took on human form, grace took on a body so we can see it. And it's grace, verse 11, look at it, that brings us salvation. Let's break this down for a moment, okay? Simple terms. The sinless Lamb of God willingly took our place on the cross. Jesus willingly allowed His blood to be shed to meet the demands of God's holiness and God's justice. That's why He went to the cross. There, there was a, a problem. You have holy, righteous God and sinful, selfish us. And Jesus bridged the gap. Jesus did that because that's what grace does. It bridges the gap. So now salvation can be offered because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You tracking? Okay. Uh, declares guilty people, people who've fallen short of the glory of God. And who does that include? How many of us does it include? All of us have fallen short. So we are now declared innocent because God's grace through Jesus Christ, has paid the penalty of all of our sin. That, that's what it's all about. Grace doesn't say, I need your help. Jesus doesn't say, I need you to help me bridge the gap. Matter of fact, just the opposite. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through, what is it? Really hard effort. Work like crazy. 
be really good. Is that what it says? For by grace you've been saved through trusting, believing, not from yourselves, gift of God, not by works, no boasting when it comes to grace. It's a free gift. The grace of Jesus asks only that we believe what Jesus did on the cross, in the empty tomb. Then we trust by faith in the facts of what Jesus has done for us. We believe we receive the gift of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. So, the, uh, verse 11, go back to it because I want to show you something. The heart of grace is this. Jesus offers salvation to those who live in North America, because those are my, my chosen folks, right? Is that what it says? Jesus offers salvation to how many people? And the answer is, what does verse 11 say? All, everybody. And if you're not sure that's enough, I would invite you, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, says it this way, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it's God's desire that everybody would say yes. The grace of God wants all people throughout all the nations, throughout all of history, to know the grace of Jesus. And it's our duty, it's our responsibility, those of us who've said yes, it's our job to advertise and speak and live the grace of Jesus with our everyday lives. Okay, you say, I'm tracking. I've done that. I've accepted what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I suspect many, if not most of you, have said, yeah, I, I've trusted and I've believed and I've received Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And arise. I, I've accepted that by faith. Now what? How does that decision, 10 years ago I made, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 60, I, I know some of you'd say, I made that decision 70 plus years ago. How does that impact my life today? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Verse 12, here we go. It, that would be grace it's referring to, Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives today in this present age. It's grace that teaches us to say no. Okay? Now, track with me. What Jesus did in appearing as the grace of God that offers salvation that finished work occurred about 2,000 years ago. Past, around 33 AD, is when Jesus completed that work. Past tense. But follow me, what Jesus did in appearing as the grace of God, offering salvation to all people, has massive effects for today. Present tense. Uh, grace shows us how to live. Grace, uh, present tense, shows us how we should be living. Grace propels us. You like that word? Grace motivates us to ruthlessly eliminate all forms of sin and garbage and manure from being a part of our lives. 
Grace motivates us not to continue to feast on the evil slop of this fallen world. That's what grace is supposed to teach us. If we truly understand biblical grace, it propels us to say, no, 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 that's the way I used to live, but I'm now new in Christ because I understand grace now and I get it. Grace is the king of the universe inviting us to become a part of his royal family. Where do you see that? First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. You are chosen. You are now a part of the royal family of King Jesus. Did you know that? So turn to somebody and say, welcome to the family. Go ahead. Wow, you're, you're royalty looking good today. Because that's the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been invited to be a part of the royal family of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. And this is pretty cool. Crack with me. And every day, King Jesus says, I'd like to dine with you. I'd like to fellowship with you. You come and, you come and dine at my table. Can you just imagine the food and the fellowship? When you're dining with Jesus, the best of, I want you to come and eat with me daily. Come and sit at my feet. And we dine. And he gives us royal clothing. And, and we're treated as, as though we're related to royalty because that's now our new position. It's who we are in Jesus Christ. But then I, I, I say, oh, that's great but I miss my smelly, holy, nasty, tattered, filthy clothes. So we sneak and put our clothes back on that we used to wear, and now we sneak out back to the dumpster, and we're eating rotten garbage. Think with me now, okay? I'm going to make a few of you a little stomachs a little turn. You know, there's spoiled milk in there that still looks pretty good, and the eggs... Uh, yeah, they're getting kind of brown, and uh, I see lots of maggots on the meat. But that's okay, because I'm used to eating that kind of food out of the dumpster. <laughs> Yum! This maggot-covered, moldy, green bun. Uh, yeah, the egg <laughs> is really bad. And, uh, and wow, the burger went south about three weeks ago. But yum! Yum! And I would say to you, no, no, that's awful. That's killing you. That's making you sick. What are you doing? You get to come and eat with King Jesus. You get to come and sit at his feet. Why are you sneaking out and eating out of the dumpster once again? Why are you doing that? That's what verse 12 is saying. Grace teaches us we belong to King Jesus. Grace teaches us that it's the power and the presence of Jesus Christ inside of us that motivates us to live strong for Him. I want to live as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I need to say no to the dumpster diving and feast instead with King Jesus because now I belong to Him. Are you tracking? That, that's what grace teaches us. When we truly begin to understand the grace of Christ, 
I can't wait to go and spend time with my king. I can't wait to truly come and daily sit at his feet and enjoy his presence and to drink deeply from all that he's done and all that he's doing in my life today. Here's what Galatians 2 and verse 20 says. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, Jeff no longer lives. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And that's true for you. Are you a follower of Jesus? I've been crucified with Christ. I I died on that cross with Jesus. I don't live anymore. Why? Because Jesus has come and taken up residence in my life. He's taken up residence in your life as well. I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. So here's the challenge. At the moment of salvation, follow me, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. As soon as we say yes by faith, Jesus Christ comes and instantly becomes a part of our lives. Now, we've got that new new Jesus in us, but we also have uh, that old sinful, selfish Jeff inside of me. So here's the challenge. You ready? Jesus Christ now lives in me, but old sinful, selfish Jeff still lives in me this side of heaven. So which one of those is going to win the battle? Which, which one is going to take charge of my life today? Is old, sinful, dumpster-diving Jeff going to win today? Or is Jesus and His Spirit and my new position as a child of the King, is that going to be in charge today? What determines who's the boss? Who, what, what determines whether I'm going to live for old, sinful, selfish me, or whether Jesus Christ is going to be in charge? Are you ready? Give me your eyes. It depends which one you feed. (laughs) It's all about who you're feeding. It's all about what you're consuming regularly. And here's what I promise. If you're feasting on garbage, if you're feasting on pornography, feasting on music that exalts sin, feasting daily on profanity and violence and nakedness, and I could list a whole bunch of things, but I'll just let the Lord... Apply it to you as necessary. When we feast on garbage, that's what wins and rules the day in our lives. And and it comes out our mouths. It comes out the way we think, our attitudes, our motivations. It, It just totally radiates our lives. Or am I feeding the Jesus side of me? And am I feasting on God's book? And if you haven't downloaded the Version app uh, on your phone, what, what are you waiting for? If you actually had to buy that thing, it would cost you like 50 bucks. It's so amazing. It'll actually read God's Word to you in about 20 different versions. And while you're driving, I heard Pastor Brandt, we were on staff retreat, I heard him, he, he's, he's feasting on God's Word while he's getting dressed, while he's brushing his teeth. He, I, I'm listening to him, and he's listening to God's Word. You understand? He, he's feeding the Jesus in him. He, he's, he's bulking up. He's playing Jesus-exalting music on his phone. That, that's feeding the Jesus Feasting on podcasts that, that 
proclaim God's word and God's truth and Jesus. Give you a couple examples. Matt Chandler has great podcasts. Alistair Begg, great podcasts. Beth Moore, ladies, great podcasts. Uh, anyway, sitting regularly, daily at the feet of Jesus. Or am I sitting regularly, daily at the feet of people who reject Jesus? That, that's really the question. Am, am I feasting on people who make fun and make light of eating in the sewer? Matter of fact, they make it sound like it's fun. Oh, you're missing out because you're not feasting on the manure of this world. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, that's what makes the difference. When I understand the impact of God's grace on my life, it should motivate us to feast with the King. Motivate us. The grace of Jesus rescues us from living in the sewer. Here's the truth. There's a lie that if you live strong, for you're missing out. And that's such a lie because the truth is, live strong for Jesus, feed the Jesus in you, that's where joy comes from. That's where peace, real, I'm just telling you, suddenly now you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. When Jesus is your king, when you understand what grace has done in our lives, that's the truth. You feast in the sewer, you're going to get sick and sad and hopeless. I mentioned we uh, were on staff retreat. We spent a half day in Chicago, and uh, every time I go to the big city, I forget about this. But it's like smacks you right in the face is all the people who are laying there literally in the gutter many times. And, and you look and you say, that's awful. They believe the lie. They believe the lie that they were missing out and they've consumed the, the sewage of this world and now they're, they're like totally at the bottom. They're, they're totally uh, laying literally in the street, clothes that reek, breath that's awful, no hope. Uh, the garbage of this world is literally killing them. And, and you just see it with your eyes and you go, whoa. The consequence, the result, ultimately, of uh, feasting from the dumpster is very sad. It's very lonely. It's very hopeless. This fallen world and allowing our old sinful selfish natures to run wild that's not freedom. That's living in shackles. That, that's, that's not happiness. That's a lie. That leads to sadness and hopelessness and all sorts of bad, awful places. The grace of Jesus brings life and light and hope and joy and peace. You understand? That's what grace should be teaching us. Now, there's three time zones of God's grace. You've already mentioned two. Let's go to the first time zone. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared that's offering salvation to all people. That occurred in the past, but it has continuous. If the offer goes on and has been going on ever since Jesus Christ took our place on the cross, shed his blood, took our place in the tomb, that offer continues. But that event occurred in the past. 
Grace in the present, verse 12. We just looked at it. Grace of God teaches us, hey, you're a child of the king. Grow on God's word. Grow and mature daily and walk and sit at the feet of the king. Grace teaches us, no, no, I don't have to feast there anymore. I belong to the king. The manure, the garbage of this world is not what brings me joy. This fallen, Satan-controlled, sinful, evil world is not where we're going to find happiness. That's the big lie. Now, here's the third. So that's race in the past, race in the present. Verse 13, anything left? Race in the... Okay. Four of you are listening along, okay? You got verse 11, grace in the past. Verse 12, grace in the present. Wild guess now. Verse 13, grace in the... Here we go. While we wait, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Denise and I had this on our wedding invitations, this verse. We had just, remember, we had just had a speaker and he was all into Titus. And it's like that verse grabbed our attention. I'm telling you, verse 13, that's a really good verse. Uh, we're waiting for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any clearer about who Jesus is here. He's our great God and our Savior, and He's got a name. Grace has a name. It's who we're waiting. Grace is coming back. Grace is going to come back, and we can't wait to be with Him face to face. Grace is coming back, and we need to be ready. That's really what it says. Get ready. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. We don't know when. Be on the lookout. Be prepared. Get prepared for grace. Uh, stay prepared for grace. Make sure you're ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, pause. Some of you are thinking, what good does it mean to my life if I know Jesus is coming back? Okay, that's a nice fact. And I know he's coming back, and, and, and that's all good, but what practical difference does the return of Jesus mean to our lives? First John, turn there on your phone if you will, we'll put it up here on the screen. Verses 2 and 3 says this, Dear friends, uh, now we're children of God, and when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's coming back, we're going to see him. Verse 3, here we go. All who have this hope in Him, Him, who's that? Jesus, who's coming back. All who are hoping and looking for His return, it says, purify themselves. Just as Jesus is pure. Looking for King Jesus to return, that's what it says, has a purifying effect on our lives. I love and I serve Jesus and I don't want him to return while I'm out back in my rags and smelly and eating out of the dumpster. I don't want him to return and find me in that condition. When we're looking for Jesus to return, it really does have a purifying effect on our lives. I recall being left alone when mom was going to run to the store. 
Okay, see if you can uh, relate to this. And she would always say as she's going out the door, I'll be back soon. Hey, Jeff, be good. Be good. And as soon as the door shuts and you hear the car start up in my brain, all the things that I've been missing out on. Uh, raid the cookie jar. Because there's strict limits. Turn the radio up as loud as it'll go. Jump on the beds, uh, surf the TV. Hopefully, I'll find a show that I'm never allowed to watch. So, soon as she's gone, but I know she's not going to be gone long. She's not going to be gone long. So, I'm just telling you, knowing mom's returning soon had a good effect on my behavior. I'm listening for the garage door. Uh, I'm listening for mom to enter the room. And, and I, don't want, I don't want to be found doing things that would make me really embarrassed and lead to consequences. You understand? So here, here's my point. Uh, Jesus is coming back soon, church. I, I don't know when. Down through the church age, every generation down through church history was convinced Jesus was returning in their generation. Isn't that interesting? And I think that's exactly how it's supposed to be. We're looking. Um, so here's my question. Had Jesus returned last week? Were you ready? Were you, were you, were you looking for him? To, or would you have been busted and ashamed at how you were living? That, that's the point here. Were you living strong for Jesus? Or would you have been hanging, yeah, I'm happy to see him, but I'm so ashamed. Look at how I've been living. Review as we close. Grace has a name. The name of grace is Jesus Christ. Please, please know that. Grace has a name. Uh, in the past, grace has appeared and offers salvation to all people. And that offer continues on and will until the Lord returns. Presently, grace teaches us to say, no, thank you. I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay in the sewage of sin any longer. I think instead I'm going to begin dining with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who I am. That's my position now. That's my identity in Jesus Christ. I'm going to feed Jesus in me and say, no, thank you. Because that feasting in the manure pile is just a lie. Grace in the past, grace in the present, grace in the future. Jesus is going to return. And I don't know about you, but I hope soon. When I was young, I used to think, no, don't come back yet. I got a lot of stuff to do. Isn't it? As you get older, suddenly now that sounds better and better. Yeah, come on. Come on back, Jesus. It has a purifying effect on our daily lives. Two questions and we're done. Have you said yes to the grace of Jesus. It's not being good or nice or moral. It's believing and receiving what Jesus has done for you. Has grace taken up residence in your life? Is there clear and obvious evidence that the old is gone and the new has come? Second question. You've been sneaking out to the dumpster recently? You got this habit, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, but oh, I just have this taste 
for rotten, maggot-filled food. And I just can't wait to get out there and, and eat in the dumpster some more. Is it maybe time to say enough? <laughs> enough of believing that lie? Enough of, you know, buying the lie? Well, all the cool kids eat the manure. No, all the foolish kids are eaten out of the dumpster. We buy the lies and then we pay the price. Grace has a better idea. Grace, Jesus Christ says, no, I, I, have, a, I have an amazing plan for your life. Rich, full, satisfying, joy, endless delight. Grace says, would, would you do it my way? Would you follow me and go all in and live in daily for me? Let's pray. Bow your heads. Would you just quiet your heart before the Lord for a moment? We're all in different places. We're all uh, facing different challenges. Frankly, we all have different sin that calls our name. And the things that you struggle with, the things that look inviting to you, the, the sewage that has your name on it, is likely different than the person sitting next to you. But the very first question is this. Have you said yes to grace and believed and trusted and received what Jesus did for you on the cross? That, that's where it begins. That's where grace starts. It's not a do-it-yourself project. It's Jesus invades our lives, takes out our old poisonous heart, and He gives us a new heart. He gives us His presence. He gives us all the good fruit that's available from Him. Have you said yes to Jesus? Is it obvious? Is the old gone and the new has come? And finally, would you just say, you know what? Hanging out way too much in the dumpster. I believe the lie. I keep thinking that the maggots and the rotting garbage are going to make me happy, but every time it leaves me sad and hopeless and helpless. Can I just say to you, the world is really good at selling that lie. But you've got to do the U-turn and run and believe what Jesus promises, what grace promises. That's when grace starts affecting our daily lives. Lord, work powerfully. If there are those here today who need to say yes to you, might they make it over to the prayer corner? Might they make it over to the uh, prayer chapel even today? Lord, if there are some who are ready to make a U-turn away from the dumpster that keeps calling their name, that has their name on it, might they make their way so folks can listen and care and instruct and pray over and, and ask that you build a new desire in their hearts. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your grace. We are really rich and chosen and royalty of Jesus Christ.
to his name we pray all these things.